no idea what I'll do. But welcome, my friends, to this tableau. Have I got a show for you? Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast. And uh, if you're listening to it, you're one of the friends. I miss you all so much. What the heck is this? I know you want to blurt. I'm used to hearing accordion. What's this ukulele? It hurts. I hope I don't need earplugs. This guy's a piece of work. Oh god, I think this is the part when he usually flirts. Not, not really in the mood for that today, so uh, I'll just sing into the chorus and start the show. Have I got a show? I think it's a show. I hope it's a show. I don't know. But if it's a show, it's for you. I think it's a show for you. Let's start the show without further ado. <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, let's start the show. I, I like I'll I'll be honest with you folks right at right at the top. This this isn't scripted today. Um, I'm gonna sort of do this off the cuff, and it's gonna be rambly. But I I've gone too long without putting one of these up, and I I wanted to talk about some things, and I I wanted to share what I've been working on instead of making podcasts. Uh, it's it's. It, I'm, I'm in arguably the hardest quarter of school before I graduate. Uh, as, as I'm sure you know, as listeners to this podcast, uh, I am in school as a history major. And so I'm learning how to do very serious historical research type stuff. Uh, I don't know why I felt compelled to say it with that sort of voice. But I did. Uh, I, I'm, I'm getting a history degree and I'm specializing in three areas. One is uh, the, the Middle East. Uh, one is uh, sort of just general early modern Europe. And the third one uh, is, well, it's general early modern Europe, but really, really, it's actually a specialization in witchcraft studies. Uh, so I say early modern Europe, you know, that's basically Europe from like 1500 to 1800. And, and even saying early modern is kind of a bad, bad terminology because it's very Eurocentric. And, you know, as I mentioned, to, you know, I'm, I'm also I've also studied the Middle East extensively. So it's sort of like the idea of early modern is uh, it, it only applies to Europe. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, really. So my three areas of study are uh, witchcraft, the Middle East, and the history of cultural uh, phenomena. That's my third area. So sort of this idea that we can learn a lot about history by studying people's obsessions with soccer or uh, people's obsessions with witchcraft. Or, you know, like one of my favorites, and this is a thing you can look up. This was a me sort of a meme in the Middle Ages that, that people were really into drawing snails in the marginalia of medieval manuscripts you know the, these these monks they, they draw snails or, or penises or you know like like weird shit 
in the marginalia of medieval manuscripts. Go go look it up. It is absolutely delightful uh, to see the stuff that some of these guys were drawing, or like you know, dogs with human faces, whatever. They they really went nuts. Uh, and I, I love I love learning about pieces of history like that. So I'm a history major, and in order to get a history degree at my university, Western Washington University here in Bellingham, Washington, uh, you have to do this thing called the Keystone course. So it's the top course. It's the final course, um, History 499. Uh, and you have to write this large research paper containing original scholarship. So not just like I read a bunch of stuff and here's some things I learned, but like here is an original interpretation of a piece of history. So I've actually done a lot of work on this text called Seducimus Debilatius. Uh, and actually the, the, the full title is delightful. I'm just gonna read you folks the full title. Uh, if I can find it here uh, in my, my bibliography. Ah. <clears throat> The, the full title is Seducimus Debilatius, or A True Narrative of the Sorceries and Witchcrafts Exercised by the Devil and His Instruments Upon Mrs. Christian Shaw, Daughter of Mr. John Shaw in the County of Renfrew in the West of Scotland from August 1696 to April 1697. Uh, which is just, it's, it's delightful. You know, it's, it's, it's a long and, and uh, it's a long title that kind of tells you what's going on. And these these titles of these books from the early modern period are are phenomenal because some of them are just absolute mouthfuls. Uh, one of them that I've done some work on, um, Great News from the West of Scotland, is the, the short title. But the, the long title is over a page of text. Uh, in fact, I actually have a paper copy of it right here. I'll just, I'll just read you. <clears throat> I'll read you, uh, I'll read you the title. Oh, no, wait, this isn't that one. This is a different one. The title of this one is The Hertfordshire Wonder or Strange News from Ware, being an exact and true relation of one Jane Stretton, the daughter of Thomas Stretton of Ware in the county of Hartford, who hath been visited by a strange kind of manner by extraordinary and unusual fits, her abstaining from sustenance for the space of nine months before being haunted by imps or devils in the form of several creatures here described, the parties adjudged of all by whom she was thus tormented and the occasion thereof with many other remarkable things taken from her own mouth and confirmed by many credible witnesses. That is the title of this uh, particular witchcraft pamphlet. Uh, yeah, they're, they're long. They're these really uh, wordy titles that just kind of like, they. it's sort of like a combination of a title and a blurb. Uh, yeah, so the, 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 I'm, I'm, that is a noisy chair. I'm not going to edit it out. There's going to be no editing today because I, I, I can't. I, I want to make some art and I want to say hi to you folks and tell you what I've been doing. But I, I just, I haven't been putting out episodes of this podcast because I am so deep down this rabbit hole of, of 17th century witchcraft uh, pamphlets. It's nuts. Uh, and a lot, a lot of these these books um, are available just for free online. It's it's so wild. Um, anyway, I'm doing this evaluation of this text called Seducimus Debilatius, and in Seducimus Debilatius, this young girl named Christian Shaw, who's about eleven, she starts 
she's bewitched. She's 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 being visited by ghosts and, and haunted by demons in the night and all these things. And her principal symptom, the, the, the main way she communicates that she has been bewitched is she's vomiting up all of these like, you know, tiny objects like scraps of cloth, balls of hair, pins, pieces of dung. And it's it's nuts. Like almost 50 people witness this credible witnesses, doctors, lawyers, judges, ministers, and everyone is going, oh, my oh, my heavens, this girl is bewitched. This is the work of Satan. But really, if you read the narrative, all this stuff coming out of her mouth just sounds like kind of a, a magic show. Uh, and so the, the larger paper I'm writing about is it, it's about sort of this idea that if we look at this young girl's story as a, as a kind of magic show performance, there's a lot to be learned uh, about all kinds of things, uh, including... Uh, uh, you know, the, the material culture, like what sort of stuff people had in their houses. Because when you look at all of these these cases of, of witchcraft and people vomiting up small objects, the small objects are never really weird. They're, they're not vomiting up like uh, the toe of a, of a, a species of kangaroo that's only found on one tiny island, you know, off the coast of of uh you know uh, perth australia or something like that you know it's, it's always something that would be commonly found around the house you, you know if i if i was sitting at a diner that had little ketchup packets in a little basket on the table with you and then i suddenly went whoa and a ketchup packet came out of my mouth it would be it would arguably be amazing if i just made that look like it happened spontaneously but you'd also go well there's ketchup packets right there and that's sort of the case with a lot of these. There's there's never an instance where the person starts vomiting, you know, like diamonds or something that the, the people in this area don't commonly have. I haven't read every single witchcraft uh, pamphlet, but it seems like the general pattern is that it's, it's not odd things that don't belong. You know, they're, they're not they're not spitting up flowers from like a, a purple parrot or something. Which you'd think if it was supernatural uh, vomiting, it, it would be. Anyway, uh, I was I was one of the things I wanted to do for you today is read you a piece of the paper I'm I'm writing because it, it talks about performance artists in the early modern period. Um, so uh, this this is a little piece of my paper. The the, the full paper is going to be like 35, 40 pages long. I'm not going to make you all sit through that on here. I may make a second episode of just like an audio performance of my paper once the paper's finished, because this is still in a very rough draft form. But uh, I figured if I would, if I shared it with all of you, it might help me sort of in developing my ideas and sort of to say some of this stuff out loud. So here we go. Uh, this is this is from section four of the paper. The events depicted in Seducimus Debellatius took place in a time of great change, not only in theological realm, not only in the theological realms affecting the prosecution of witches, but also in the broader culture. It was a period of great success for performing artists throughout Europe. Advances in technology such as cheap printing presses allowed these creatives to promote their performances in much to much larger audiences than had been previously available. In the late 1690s, there were numerous fairs at which performers could demonstrate their skills either out in the open or within the confines of small booths. 
Some of these events, such as Bartholomew Fair, established 1153, or Southwark Fair, also known as Lady Fair, established 1462, had already existed for centuries. Diarist Samuel Pepys was a frequent patron of Bartholomew Fair, often attending with no particular agenda but to stroll up and down. And so to Bartholomew Fair, where I met with Mr. Pickering, and he and I to see the monkeys at the Dutch house, which is far beyond the other that my wife and I saw the other day. Disappointment, <clears throat> and thence to see the dancing on the ropes. That, that's uh, what he called wire walking, or sort of a slack line or tightrope sort of a thing, which was very poor and tedious. Pepys's disappointment is understandable, as future entries show him to be a connoisseur of the art of dancing on the ropes. The following year, after a performance by Jacob Hall, Pepys dubbed it the best dancing on the ropes that I think I ever saw in my life. Pepys would follow Hall ardently for years, often exhibiting behavior not unfamiliar to a modern fan of the arts. On Friday the 6th of September 1667, he took in the dancing of the ropes and nothing else. It was not uncommon for him to attend this spectacle multiple days in a row. He did just that on September 7th, uh, 1667, following a ridiculous, obscene little stage play called Mary Audrey. A foolish thing, but seen by everybody. Peeps happily decamped to Jacob Hall's Dancing of the Ropes, a thing worth seeing and mightily followed. This last comment is worth special note, as it would seem that Peeps was not the only follower of Hall. In fact, his breathless 1668 entry detailing his meeting with the beloved artist implies that such fawning was not uncommon to the performer. After the performance by Hall, where I saw such action as I never saw before, and mightily worth seeing, and here took acquaintance with a fellow that carried me to a tavern, wherein come the music, where, whither come the music of this booth, and by and by Jacob Hall himself, with whom I had a mind to speak, to hear whether he had ever had any mischief by falls in his time. He told me, yes, many, but never to the breaking of a limb. He seems a mighty strong man, so giving him a bottle or two of wine, I away. The fact that Pepys seems to be conduct the fact that Pepys seems to be conducted to a specific place for an after-show encounter with Hall implies a set formula for such meetings. This in turn hints that such things were not uncommon. Indeed, the widely dispersed fame of performers in this area doubt era doubtless created widespread followings. Although Jacob Hall may have been the main attraction for Pepys, he took in numerous other performances, many of which surely had their own followings. I just, I just need, he also took in numerous other performances, many of which surely had their own followings. During the period recorded in his diary from 1660 to 1669, Pepys did not miss the fair, except when it was closed by the plague. The sights were as varied as they were amusing. We saw a poor fellow whose legs were tied behind his back, dance upon his hands with his arse above his head, and also dance upon his crutches, without any legs upon the ground to help him. Which he did with that pain that I was sorry to see it, and did pity him and give him money after he had done. Then we to see a piece of clockwork made by an Englishman, indeed very good, wherein all the several states of man's age to one hundred years old is shown very pretty and solemn, and several other things more cheerful. 
He was not above being critical, however, as in 1668, when he wrote of seeing the mare that tells money and many things to admiration, and among others come to me when she was bid to go to buy him of the company that most loved a pretty wench in the corner. And this did cost me twelve shillings to the horse which I had flung him before, and did give me an occasion to base your mighty Belfield that was in the cor- in the house that that was exceeding plain but Fort Bell. I, I know it's a little impenetrable, but he enjoyed it. Though delightful at first blush, his opinion soured a week later. Saw the dancing mare again, which today I find to act much worse than the other day. She forgetting many things, which her master beat her for and was mightily vexed. It was lucky for Pepys that Jacob Hall was available to soothe his disappointment, the remediation of which he availed himself of at once. Not only were these annual events reliable performance venues for a panoply of different artists, but the era also saw the creation of numerous other venues. Theaters were being built with variety entertainment in mind. In addition to the legion of public space propri- the legion of public spaces proprietors <clears throat> this is such a bad sentence. I'm so sorry. In in addition to the legion of public space proprietors who featured at, or at least allowed entertainment in their spaces. There's, there's a lot of places that are letting people perform. I, I really need to edit this. I, I should not be reading this to you, but here we are. <laughs> this combination of a growing variety of venues allowed for widespread touring aided by the distribution of printed materials. Milieu well demonstrated by the case of Matthias Buchinger, 1674 to 1740. Himself obsessively chronicled by performance magician and magio historian Ricky Jay, this 29-inch tall focomelic I've never heard this word out focomelic overachiever was a master of micrography the art of forming perfect tiny letters with pen and ink in addition to his calligraphic prowess Buchinger was also presented wow I should I really should be editing this I'm so sorry in addition to his calligraphic prowess, Buchinger also presented skillful displays of magic, trick shots with pistols, music, bowling, was proficient in the art of the whimsy bottle, and fathered 14 children. All of this in spite of the fact that, quote, he was born without legs or hands. The reader is forgiven an incredulous reaction to the litany, and it is only through the tireless scholarly work of Jay that most remember Buchinger at all. Suffice to say that his exertions were not in vain, as he traveled extensively throughout the continent before settling in the British Isles, dying while on tour at the age of 65 in Dublin. Much of Jay's reconstruction of these peregrinations was accomplished through the advertisements and souvenirs produced by Buchinger, and found widely across the British Isles and mainland Europe. Buchinger was not alone in the field of prestidigitation, one which seems full to bursting with experienced, when experienced through Jay's laconic writings. Another feature at early modern fairs throughout Britain, and likewise chronicled by Jay, albeit to a lesser degree, was Isaac Fox. This shameless self-promoter advertised his show in comic verse printed on broadsides, one of which has been reproduced by Jay in an issue of Jay's Journal of Anomalies. Two gentlemen keenly relived their favorite moments, putting the reader in mind of a modern reviewer raving on social media about a new film. They particularly like one effect not mentioned anywhere else in promotional materials by Fox, in which he produced large quantities of varicolored ribbon from his mouth as if he had, quote, a loom within his jaws. Uh, This spot right here, I have a little footnote, and I'm going to read you the footnote. The footnote says, The handbill closes with the lines spoken by Richard and Ralph, our narrators. Richard, 
Tis conjuration every act and deed. I'll try to my inn <clears throat> and homewards jog with speed. Their two wife Joan these wonders to relate. Ralph, and I will do the same by Kate. Jay finds the thought of these charmed spectators running home to tell their wives about the show fetching, if slightly incredible. While this is, has no pertinence upon the content of this paper, it is demonstrably too fetching to resist sharing. I beg the reader's indulgence." End footnote. Although the production of varicolored ribbons might have been novel in Fox's repertoire, the effect is a common one. Indeed, the instructions for performing this very trick had been published over 100 years earlier in Reginald Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, 1584 a book which sought to provide rational explanations for the methods used by charlatans to fake magical effects. Scott promised to demonstrate, quote, how to pull laves innumerable out of your mouth of what color or length you list and never anything seem to be therein. The same effect was also explicated in Hocus Pocus Jr. You must provide you diverse sorts of ribbons, some black, some blue, some green, some yellow. Measure it, and at the end of every yard, make a slipknot. Then roll each colored ribbon into a ball by itself and dispose them about you, that you may know readily which to take in an instant. When you are called upon for so many yards of such a color, convey a ball of the same color to your mouth and draw it out, remembering how many knots have slipped your teeth. Then cut it off and deliver it. Much of the language used in these instructions rings eerily similar to descriptions of Christian Shaw's ailments wherein she thrust or spit out of her mouth parcels of hair, some curled, some plaited, some knotted, of different colors and in large quantities. Elsewhere, Hocus Pocus Jr. details the method to produce or vanish a long puddin made of tin. It need hardly be mentioned that the methodology for disappearing or reappearing balls of ribbon or large pieces of tin might also be applied to a wide variety of objects such as pins, balls of hair, pieces of straw, or hot coals. Ribbons and strings were not the only varicolored emission from the mouths of performance artists in the 17th century. In fact, Jay has dubbed the, the century the golden age of water spouting. Jay writes that there are Records of spouters who preceded the Vogue, and there are spouters who still appear on variety shows, but for some reason unknown to me, the audiences of the 1600s were particularly inclined to enjoy such a spectacle. Bess de Montfort, Florent Marchand, and Filippo Giuliani were among, were all accomplished practitioners of that era, but I am particularly drawn to a Frenchman named Jean Royer. He swallowed large quantities of clear water and then spouted the liquid in a series of long, graceful, magically changing, multicolored and perfumed arcs. Performance magic, aquatic or otherwise, was well known throughout the 17th century. In addition to superstars like Fox or Buchinger, numerous lesser known practitioners also applied their trade throughout Europe. Samuel Pepys, Halls's acrobatic aficionado, also enjoyed the effects of sleight of hand. In May 1667, he attended a dinner with his wife. While the food was less than stellar, the evening was saved by, quote, a juggler. After dinner we had all our sport. There came in a juggler, who indeed did show us so good tricks as I had never seen in my life, I think, of legerdemain, such as my wife hath since seriously said that she could not believe that he had did them but by help of the devil. These wondrous happenings before his very eyes must have stirred something in Peeps, as he would buy a copy of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft later that year. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, 
<laughs> I'll leave it there for now. Uh, but th that's just sort of a flavor of what I've been working on. And, uh, you know, there's there's 35 pages of this nonsense. I'm not I'm not saying it's it's all good, but, you know, it's the it's the scholarship I'm working on producing. So I, I guess, you know, if, if this check in is sort of about where I'm at and what I've been doing since I last spoke to you folks, uh, I guess there's really two things that have been going on for me. I'm going to take a sip of water. The the first and obviously a huge drain on my time is that I've been going to school. But the second is that I had a very dear friend of mine pass away unexpectedly uh, a couple of a few weeks ago, about a month ago. And I don't one of the reasons I, you know, I, I've tried to script something to talk about this and I, I just can't. And I, the thing that kills me is that this person was another performance artist. This person was a, a clown that I worked with a lot. And when another performer dies, you know, performers want to get together. We want to, we want to, we want to share, we want to interact. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I was speaking with a friend about writing memoirs or telling the stories of our travels. And the thing we kept talking about was the fact that he really wanted to write things that were That, that that are telling stories that from his life and and for me I I have a hard time writing stories and, and saying that they're specific and things that happen to me and I often will incorporate things that have happened to me into the fiction that I write um, so for instance uh, this is a little piece of a novel I'm working on right now but it, it sort of is, I think it'll help me sort of get around to this thing that I'm, I'm working on. Um, so yeah, I'll just, I'll read this little section and then maybe I'll be able to sort of talk about this more. Many years ago, I was at a party. It took place in a two-story flat in an old stone building in a city grown tall inside walls which no longer stood. Myself excluded, the entire company consisted of one of the rarest breeds of performer genuinely funny stand-up comedians who also happen to be pleasant people. Of all the wildly improbable things I have witnessed in my life, dear reader, this indeed ranks high indeed. Wow, that's a sentence I'll need to edit. <clears throat> As such, it gives me great pain to tell you that this unprecedented gathering was that particular kind of party that takes a dark turn. Everything was much as it is when any large convocation of a particular trade occurs. Stories were being swapped and great feats of prowess were demonstrated. The mood was jolly beyond belief until the unthinkable happened. Long after midnight, as the last shadows of evening had faded on a city far across the sea, terrible news winged its way to us. Word reached the party that one of the greatest comedians of the age had died. Within minutes, word had 
spread through dozens of people and laughter turned to tears. One young woman crawled beneath the sink, wrapped herself around the drain pipe, and refused to be moved. When I left an hour after dawn, she was still there, gripping the old plumbing for dear life, body racked by occasional sobs. That's the thing, is that for traveling performers, we so often find ourselves in the wrong place when someone's lost. We're on tour, we're out of town, we're booked. And yet, this friend who passed away, it wasn't any of the usual reasons that kept all of us from gathering and remembering them. It was that we're all stuck quarantining. And it's such a horrible thing to lose someone during this time because the very things that, at least for me, I associate with the wider artistic community going through a tragedy is that we gather and we, we play our songs and we sing and not being able to do that has been incredibly difficult. And that's honestly why I, I, I wanted to just turn on the recorder and, and, and speak to you folks a little bit because I, I've, I've had a few really good conversations with mutual friends and it's been good but it it hasn't reached the level of of memory that I I wanted to have with this friend and at some point I will I will write a lot of the stories of this person and and share them with you folks here on the podcast I can't yet it's too it's too raw it's too much um The only thing that I think I, I, I can say, and I think I can only say this because I'm alone in my, my house and I'm speaking into a little black plastic recorder, is that I really have, I have no words to express how much this person meant to me, except to say that I often am asked like about where the name strangely came from. And I usually kind of tell some sort of meandering story about how, you know, I, I found performing and circuses and things and I, I just, my name needed to change. And that's all true. But the person who passed away last month is the person who named me strangely. And that's, all I can share about that right now. And I'm sorry if this is a really dark thing to be sharing on this podcast, and especially after you 15 minutes ago heard me doing shite British accents, but I learned that accent and performed it because of her. You know, she was the person who got me into all of this stuff, and it's too... The, the wound is still too new for me to really put any of that into words, but I think I'm sort of, I'm, I'm speaking around it. I'm sort of pointing all of you in the direction of, of where it all came from. Uh, 
and yeah, I, I think, I think I'll leave it at that for now. Um, I, I have a song I want to play for all of you and I got a package in the mail and I, I don't, I don't know who this person is. Um, it's someone named Judith and I, I kind of want to open that. Um, but yeah, I, I, before I, I guess, move out of this area, I just, I want to say that this friend of mine and I actually got to, got to talk a couple of days before she passed away. And I was like, Oh, I haven't talked to you in a while. Like I should say all these things that I, I've been thinking about, about you. And we had this, this wonderful conversation that was, that was very, very frank and open and, and said a lot of things that, you know, you're always really glad to have said to someone. And it's really, it's really made me want to be more upfront about those things with my friends to tell the people I care about the things I value about them and, and to spend time with the people I care about and to sort of connect with them more because you, you don't know. And yeah, I, I know this is a bit rambly and I, I know I'm a little all over the place, but I, I just, as weird as it sounds like this podcast has an outlet that is always available, but doesn't, doesn't require anything specific of me has been such a lifeline to me. And that's why I wanted to just sort of do this off the cuff episode today is because I, I just, it means so much to me to know that there are folks out there who just kind of are vaguely interested in whatever I want to talk about and, and the people that I want to feature and the, the questions that I'm asking. I, I also wanted to I, I know that, you know, talking about a, a friend who's passed away is a little bit of a, a, a downer. And um, the next episode I'll be making is the one for my birthday in about a week. And so I sort of wanted to get these wiggles out now, not to not to put them away and not talk about them, but I sort of didn't want to make my birthday about this. Because as as much as this friend has so tremendously affected who I am today. There's there's other things to talk about. But I I, I wanted to share this because I, I know that there are people out there, I know some of you listening out there have had your own incredibly rough experiences during this time. And as much as I always rant about how I don't want to talk about current events, this is a current event for me personally. And I think that's okay. So yeah, thank you. Thank you all for indulging this ramble. It means a lot if you're still listening with me. Um, I'm going to play a little chord on the ukulele so that we'll move into the next section. And uh, yeah, let's, let's see what's in this box. Mailbag. <laughs> uh, okay, so I live at a little cabin uh, here in, in Fairhaven and my studio is just down the hill but this was mailed to my house by someone named Judith and I I don't know what it is I don't remember giving my address to someone named Judith so this is 
this is a little like, I'm like, what, what is it? Um, it doesn't smell funny or anything. So um, I'm gonna open this up and see what's in here. Okay, we got some, we got some packing, packing peanuts. And, ooh, okay, it's a t-shirt and a book. Oh, this is, the t-shirt is Freak Show, it's from Freak Show to Go. So Freak Show to Go is a awesome uh, variety show that I usually perform in every year, like down in Seattle and everything. And, um, oh wow, and also the Southern Side Show Hootenanny. So uh, the it, what this looks like is it looks like the, um, the producer of Freak Show to Go has, has sent me a little care package for my birthday, which is, that's just, that just makes me so, so happy. <gasps> Whoa, wait a second. Oh, and there's some, but there's some, there's some buttons. Freak Show to Go. And Freak Show, I should tell you, is spelled F-R-E-A-K-S-H-E-A-U-X. Um, so I got a whole pile of these stickers and a couple of buttons. Uh, I don't, I don't have anything to put stickers on or buttons. So I'll, um, if you, if you drop me a line either on the Instagram or, uh, uh, shoot me a postcard, I will send you, uh, I'll share some of these, uh, these stickers out with the world. You, you wonderful listeners of this podcast. This book though is called Calling the Spirits, a history of seances. It's almost like someone knew what I was studying. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, thank you, Freak Show. I, I, uh, oh man, it's, it's always so fun to get a surprise package from a friend. I, I don't quite know how this friend got, uh, got my, got my address, but, uh, I, I think that this package is from Kali von Wunderkammer. So if Kali von Wunderkammer is listening to this, uh, thank you, Kali. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually uh, probably end up referencing this book. The the other thing that I'm working on this quarter, besides the the big paper about uh, the witchcraft trials, is I'm writing about seances being performed as part of Shaker church services in the 1830s. So the the Shakers were actually doing seances in their church services, and I'll probably read that paper to you folks at some point because that one's a lot that one's a lot wilder. You got you got like. 15 year old girls being possessed by George Washington and, and, and stuff like that. It's, it's bananas. Uh, anyway, I thank you for that, that note. If, if you have something you want to send to me, you can send it to strangely 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. I think that's 1000 Harris Avenue. Oh yeah. 1000 Harris Avenue. Number 11. I'm moving into studio 11. I know. I know. Studio 11. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, think that's about it. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play a song and we'll, we'll, we'll end this with a song. This, this is a song I wrote after a friend passed away almost 10 years ago now. And, uh, I play this at the end of shows a lot and it just feels like a moment when I should play it. So thank you folks for, for being with me during this, uh, this time I'm having a time, but I hope you've had some fun with the episode today. I, I have for sure. And, um, 
it's it's good it's good to remember these things so here we go this song is called don't be sad Earth 
far up in heaven. Our drinks will flow like water as we all grow old. Even if we're all downstairs and our drinks are never, they're never cold. Thanks so much for listening to this admittedly awkward episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. I I really do appreciate all of you folks listening out there. Uh, all you folks on Patreon who continue to support me in making art, even when I barely have enough spoons to do it. I've got some really fun stuff planned for the next episode, which will be for my birthday. We're going to check in on all those New Year's resolutions I made a year ago on my birthday. Some of them went really well, some of them didn't. Uh, but yeah, thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Uh, oh man. I just realized I, I have to do like the call letters. So let's let's do a little bit of improvisation. Cause I I, I just gotta leave you a little a little happier than I found you I feel like that's it's it's part of it's part of hiking through other people's hearts right I think so we'll, we'll, we'll pick up the tempo a little bit I don't know what that exactly means, but you can guess by induction. I could ramble for ages about how much I love all of you, but frankly I've got papers to write and other stuff I gotta do, so I think I'll close the podcast the best I can by strumming the ukulele and singing like some old-timey man. I don't know what's coming next around the bend but i hope that you'll be here with me listening to strangely and friends i guess it's time for me to say goodbye but i just can't help going a little longer i'm that kind of guy so maybe you all will come back next time for another episode of this frankly odd little show that really forces rhymes i don't know where i'm going but i know where i've been i know where i'll see you all again Might not be out of key 
it, I promise you it's really weird, but next time I see you all, I will be 33, that's twice as old as I ever thought you'd ever see of me, so I'll close the show with this awkward rhyme, and I'll see you all next time.